Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Good. Exodus chapter 3. If you were with us back in November, before we moved, I think, to this end of the building, we, uh, we preached on the burning bush, and we talked about it. And I think I remember why, because I had just done a, a yielding session with Linda, and um, the Lord had just done this whole, given me this whole word and picture of my life as it pertained to this burning bush encounter. And I, I want to sort of pick up where we left off. I didn't do this intentionally. This wasn't supposed to be a part two of that message. But as I got in, I started asking Ashley, I'm like, babe, did I preach on the burning bush like not that long ago? For some reason, the Lord's got this on me, but I feel like we just did it. And then I'm getting burning bushes at me from like every angle over the last week and a half. So I'm like, all right, Lord, I get it. Like we're preaching on this, but I just want to be different. And so I flipped back in my notes and sure enough, this is not the encounter. This is what happens right after that initial dialogue where uh, there's a bush on fire. Moses is out there. And um, I think what we, what we sort of lingered on in that message, if you were with me back then, was when God noticed that Moses turned aside to look. And we talked about how important it was that, um, that the Lord is just looking for someone who will stop and turn aside, who will veer off of the path that we were on. In fact, I'm reading a book um, by a local pastor right now that we may be bringing into some family discipleship stuff, an awesome woman of God that, that actually in the book, of course, as I'm writing it, she, as I'm reading it, she, she had written about this burning bush thing and how important it is that we're able to change trajectory based on that encounter. Um, and so that's back in November, the middle of November sometime. If you want to go back and get part one to this, unintentionally part one, you can do that. But today we're going to pick up on verse 10. And the title of the message today, because I always have titles, you've just been missing them every week. Um, just kidding. It's always just, you know, Exodus 3. But I want it. if you're writing things down and you just want a title at the top of your notes, write, but us. But us. Okay. So in verse 10 of Exodus, if you're not familiar with the story, Moses uh, had fled Egypt. He grew up in Egypt in Pharaoh's household. And uh, as he becomes a man around the age of 40, he notices that the Egyptian slave drivers were harsh on um, his Hebrew brothers and sisters. And so he gets angry and retaliates when he sees them beating one and he actually commits murder. And when he finds out that people saw it and that people are talking about it, he flees. He ends up in Midian and he is there for 40 years. And during that time, he becomes a shepherd and he gets married. Uh, and while he's out with his sheep around a mountain, he sees out of the corner of his eye a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. The fire is there, but the bush is intact. Actually, that was one of our points too, that he's uh, the God who both consumes and sustains. That was actually a great message. You should probably go back and listen to it, honestly. Oh, phenomenal. Who preached that again? I, don't, I can't remember. But anyway, it was the Lord. So the deal is, after this whole encounter, and, it, and I love the line in your Bible. Hopefully you underlined it back there. Uh, verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. But jumping down, after he basically lays it all out for Moses, what he sees and what he doesn't. In fact, I'll just read it to you. Verse 7 says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. 
and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10, therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. <laughs> I love all those verses of God's observation because as he's leading up to this line, come now, I want you to take note of all the references he makes to Moses. None. Moses' call had nothing to do with Moses at all. In fact, it's, it's about everybody else. And as God comes through this, he gets down to the end of all his observations and he says to Moses, therefore come now and I will send you. Oh, there's where Moses is in the dialogue. And I will send you. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and, and, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? First of all, Moses is going to get a really bad rap in this message for the first little bit. But I want to get real this morning and just recognize that any of us, like walking in humility the way that we should be, when we have an encounter with God and he puts something on our hearts, this is our, our, our instinct, it should be to say, who am I? Who am I? Who the heck am I that I should be hearing this? The point is, though, that God has already introduced himself. At that point, God is ready to send Moses, and all that was required for this to happen was an introduction, not even of Moses, but only of God. He says, come now. The Lord's whole monologue to Moses was about God's, uh, God's observation of his people and his desire to deliver them. It wasn't about his observation of Moses' deficiencies or his desire to fix them. We personalize everything, don't we? In fact, we're obsessed. In fact, we've called our faith a personal relationship with Jesus, which is great, except that we put these blinders on to where all we can see is ourselves. And Satan comes along and he says, I can work with that. I can work with that. You're not paying attention to all the lost and the brokenhearted in the world. And you're not paying attention to everything else that's going on out there and all the other agendas, everything else. You're just focused on you. All right, let's, let's, that's, this should be easy. The truth is, that when Moses asks this question in the same way that any time any of us ask this question, who am I? We are suffering a very common spiritual illusion. In fact, can you just go to the next slide, Dave? And it has to do with what we're close to. That's actually my daughter Messer right there. Isn't she cute? She's the best. She, she, took one of our phones a while back and she started running around the backyard 
And she found out that with the phone, she could take all of these like optical illusion pictures. And so she put up her brother and sister to like standing in the yard in different places, like pushing against a tree or like hiding down inside of something so that like from the camera angle, it looked like, you know, something crazy was happening. And what I want you to see in the, in the background here that you can't see, even though the picture is pretty big, is that's actually between her tiny little thumb and index finger is Mount Washington. You can see it off the end of the dock where we stay in Maine. And, and that's right on the porch of our cabin. And she's holding between her thumb and finger Mount Washington, which at this point is an entire state away. In fact, on a, on a hazy day, you know, you can't see it at all. But it's right there. And so if you're writing things down, I want you to get this. Don't let a proximity to your weakness eclipse a projection of God's strength. Don't let proximity to your weakness eclipse projection of God's strength. How does that work? How is it that I can stand and with my thumb blot out the moon? How is it that I can, from, from, from one position, someone's head, not even like a, a Pennsylvania Dutch head, like a normal size head, can, can, how is it that that one head can block out an entire billboard? It has everything to do with proximity. It has everything to do with what we're closer to. And at this point, even though Moses is in this incredible encounter with the Lord, even though he's standing feet away from the raging glory of God, He's only inches away from his own weaknesses. And see, this is the issue that we have. This is the spiritual illusion that many of us suffer from. Messer is one of my weaknesses. She gets anything she wants. Don't tell her that. But standing that close to me, I'm like, yeah, you've got the whole world in your hands. Or at least my world. Mount Washington, Schmount Washington. Never heard of it. I'm interested in Messer. And see, this is us. This becomes a problem when, when the huge things God's doing right in front of us are blotted out or half blotted out or eclipsed by whatever is going on in our lives. So Daniel preached a message, Pastor Daniel Bourget preached a message a while back that the staff keep quoting, um, and it was called, But God. If you're writing things down, write this down. But me. But me. But God works when our eyes are on God. Unfortunately, what I hear back from most believers most people, after they've had an encounter, is not a but God. I hear a but me. But me. Who am I? Who am I? You know those memes? Uh, you can go to the next one. You know those memes where it's like somebody says something and then it's what they said and what we heard? I feel like this is what I hear back from you guys. Here's what God says. The world is broken and needs help. I'm sending you. What we hear? You're broken and need help. I'm sending you someone else. And, and that's literally regurgitated back 
I know the call of God. I've heard the call of God. And when we hear it, oftentimes we fill in blanks or we add like hyphens and dots and commas where God put a period. That's a bigger problem. But anyway, at the end of the day, when our focus is so on the proximity to these issues, these deficiencies, um, these places in our lives that are in great need, whatever they are. And by the way, this isn't to make light of those things. You may really be broken and really need help. But notice God's observation when he calls you. Notice God's observation when he speaks to Moses, it had nothing to do with Moses at all. Amen? So I want to give a disclaimer real quick and say this, that I will never, ever, 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 ever diminish prayer, okay? I will never diminish prayer because I know that it works. I've seen it. I've been here for every Tuesday night for the last 11 and a half years, almost. I've missed a few. Um, but I, I know what happens when God's people get together and pray. I know what happens that the, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. However, the spirit of the Lord, you can go to that next slide. Because again, I think that this is sometimes how we read this passage. We hear it preached on. But the spirit of the Lord is not upon you. Watch this to pray for the brokenhearted and to beg and plead that the captives be set free. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. And oftentimes our prayer comes out of not the but God observation. It comes out of the but me observation. And when I can't get past the proximity to all of my issues, my prayers start coming out weak. They start coming out affected and infected by whatever's on my flesh. My prayers no longer come from the, the limitless power of the spirit within me. They start coming from the finite and the issues and the limitations of the flesh that is upon me. And I start praying prayers, hoping that God will do something. Go to the next slide, Dave. Sometimes we try sending prayers when God was trying to send us. Did you ever ask, I remember um, when Carrie O'Brien first asked Ashley and I about the board at BCA. And um, <laughs> I think probably I have this habit of saying yes too quickly. I'm just like, yeah. And then I'm like, probably. Then I'm like, let me talk to my wife. And, uh, and we, we joke about it for like years after because Carrie's like, you know, usually we'll ask people about joining the board and they'll be like, well, let me pray about it. Because that is the all availing Christian stall, right? That is the stall. Let me pray about it. Instead of let me walk in confidence. Instead of let me be bold, not about my strengths and my skill set, but about who the Lord is in me. What if our prayers came from that place? Then, yeah, we might be binding up the brokenhearted and setting captives three through our intercession, but it wouldn't come out like, oh God, please. It would be like this, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
and by the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we command the bondage of oppression and addiction and depression to fall on the floor in Jesus' name. You have no power here. Those would be the prayers of people who know, yeah, who they are, but know who God is more. And the tables are turned. And now I'm standing on top of Mount Washington trying to see Messer sitting on the dock. You can go to that next slide. Again, I don't want to diminish what Moses was going through at this moment because he legitimately had a warrant out for his arrest in Egypt for murder. He was wanted for murder. And I think sometimes, Caleb, you and I have had a lot of good conversations about this. I think sometimes, and I know this is so cliche, it's almost cliche, it's not quite cliche yet, it will be after this message. But if you're writing things down, don't let your past predict your present. Don't let your past predict your present. I want to talk about this because in Moses' case, Moses was living in Midian, literally on the run. He had like, he had gone into one of those underground places and had a new passport made with you, like a new name, bleached his hair out. You know what I'm saying? People are like, are you even a Jew? And, uh, you know, he, he was on the run. He was doing the whole thing. You know, he had the go bag with the different currencies in it and the whole thing and a drop safety deposit box in Midian. And he goes and gets that. He's living a new life across the border, okay, on purpose because of his past. And I, I think that for some of you, you, you are in this church on the run. You, you can't cross over the threshold like you just broke through the woods in Canada. You know, I saw some of y'all, like, you come through the church and you're like looking behind you to make sure people didn't follow you from the last place. And then next week, here come some more people from that. And they're like, I remember you. Here's the deal. Satan is betting. You can write it down and you can take it to the bank. Satan is betting that if you ran then, you're going to run now. That's an actual picture of a guy who is running from an altar call here. We actually, I had our photography team take that. We're so used to running, we show up in like workout clothes, ready to run. We show up to the call of God, ready to run from it. We know we're supposed to be there to receive it, but, but like Jonah, we're already plotting out our getaway. Why? Because of our past. You don't run unless you've had an experience to run from. Most of us, when it comes to faith, many of us in this room, we've learned things the hard way. You stepped off the curb and you got hit by the bus. And now you look both ways. You touched the stove and you burned your hand and now you don't even go in the kitchen. And when it comes to the things of God, saints, that's why I loved Pastor Kurt last week, kind of like opening up that whole message. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. Opening up that whole message with an apology. A repentant heart. For every way the church as a whole has wronged the people of God, the leadership, men and women of God who are responsible to shepherd and to care. There's been failures, there's been issues, and some of you come in having been hit by a bus, but I'm asking you, before you run, 
ask what you're running from. Because we're not going to get that far in the, in the narrative. But what you find out on the next page is that God says to him, all the people who wanted you for murder, they're already dead. And I want you to know this morning, the things that have defined you by your past, the Lord has already gone ahead of you and wiped them all out. When David, when actually, when David passes the throne to Solomon, one of the first things Solomon does as an epic leader, he puts a hit out on three different guys, wipes them clean off the map. David had enough blood on his hands and he, he had gotten to a place in his life where he was like, Lord, I'm gonna let you deal with your enemies and I'm just gonna go back to my harp and worship you. But when Solomon takes the throne, he said, that, that, and that, you, you, and you, you're no longer welcome in this kingdom. In fact, we're just gonna make sure of it. Take them out. And the military commanders go out and they take those things out. Why? Because when the Lord is ready to bring you into a new season, he takes out the things that tie you to the last one. We have no place running unless it's to this altar. Unless it's to the feet of Jesus. You don't run from anything. Unless it's sexual temptation. I think the Bible says to flee from that too. Actually, maybe that was that picture. I can't remember now. Either way, you get the point. Don't let your past predict your present. If you are famous for running, if you're famous for church hopping, but there's something a little more sinister behind it, really you leave because of offense. Well, I got offended there. And then I got offended before that. And I got offended before that. Well, there's a pattern here. Satan's keeping you offended so that when you run, you're not running from offense. You're just running to the next one. What you're really running from is the call of God on your life and offense is the very thing Satan's using to keep you from walking in it, okay? Oh my God, I could probably just preach on that. I probably shouldn't though. Not after Kurt gave that message last week. <laughs> All right. So don't worry, because he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Solid question, Moses, but you, I get it, okay? Fortunately, the Lord comes back at him and he says in verse 12, certainly I will be with you. Certainly I will be with you. I love this. You see, Moses being out there for so long, this was his first encounter with God. Now God sent him out into Midian. This was a wilderness experience before the 40 year wilderness experience. This was another 40 years of Moses in Midian, all right? So from 40 to 80, from zero to 40, he's in Egypt. From 40 to 80, he's in Midian. Now, some of you guys, you, you're, if, you're, if you're like in your 20s, you're thinking like 40 years is like eternity, right? I'm coming up on 40 here pretty soon, in a minute. And But 40 years to the Lord is five minutes. And it's all the time he had to prepare Moses. Go to that next slide, Dave, if you would. And I want you to get this because Moses was content to stay in Midian. Why? Because he had turned 
a season of preparation into an eternity of purpose. And I think that this is a huge issue. It's a pitfall. It's a, it's a pothole that we fall into as believers. You know, you know where I've seen it the most? Bible school. Okay? Bible school. It's a, it's a season of two year, three year, four year, maybe for some of us in five, six, seven, Pastor Will. How many doctorates did you get in eight years? Yeah, three doctorates degrees, or at least that much schooling. Uh, I didn't know Zion gave out doctorates degrees at that time, but what happens is we turn preparation into purpose. Preparation is not purpose. Preparation is for purpose. But what happens is we're, we, we take on this thing of like, well, I'm a lifelong student. Well, that's good. You should always have a teachable spirit. But at some point, you have to graduate and go do the thing that you learned how to do. And so for some of us, you know, I love this too. Oh, this is going to just, this will pack a punch maybe for nine people in the room. The six-month rule. A... The six-month rule is a season of preparation. Okay? Now, hopefully, we learn disciplines during that season that, of preparation that we carry into and continue to operate in in our purpose, like things like rest and hearing from God and yielding to the Spirit and, and just stopping and yielding and, and all of that stuff. Yes, we're learning things to carry in, but there, there can't be this put it in park, shut off the car, and get out, I'm here. Okay? Sometimes... We find long-term purpose in, short, in a short-term wilderness. I did that in, in Southeastern. The Lord brought me there for one year to do something in me. But I was content to stay there forever. Some of us, we graduate Bible school, and we're like, isn't there another class I can take? Me, I'm like, really? I have to take that class to graduate? <laughs> There was another semester of like random classes I had to take, but I'm pretty sure that's just Zion's way of keeping you on the hook. I love that school. I mean it. I do. I'd send anybody there. But the deal is this, and this is what I love about Pastor Kurt and the School of the Spirit, is that the, the education process of preparation is is tied into, it's intrinsically woven into purpose so that like you don't really know where the preparation stops and the purpose starts if we do our job right, okay? It's like, wait, there was a threshold back there and I crossed it and I'm out here, I'm flying. Yes, you are, because that's what you were created to do. And Moses, if he had chosen to say, you know what, Midian's good enough. Midian's good enough, I have a good life for myself here. I'm safe here. I can continue, I can worship the Lord, I can do whatever I need to do, I can carry the, the without an encounter, by the way, but I can carry on the traditions of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all my people who are still back in Egypt, and I just happen to be the one that's free. You see what happens when we just camp out eternally in that wilderness place? It's all about us. It's all about us. Again, take those blinders off. The Lord has called you to something huge. Good. <clears throat> so the Lord's answer is, and I love it. You can go to the next slide. Certainly I will be with you. 
Notice Moses doesn't have powers yet. His face isn't glowing yet. He hasn't parted any seas or stood up to any global empires or the demigods who rule them. He hasn't, he hasn't yet commanded plagues and, and, and thrown a stick on the ground and it turned into a serpent. He hasn't done any of this stuff. He hasn't seen any of God's power at his own hands yet, but God's line to him is not, I will give you powers. God's line is not, let me show you this picture of what it's gonna look like when you part the sea. God's answer is, certainly I will be with you. Go to that next slide. The only thing better than God making you better is him being with you when you're not better yet. Just let it soak in, just woo take that in because it's so good. Somebody in here that's not better yet, you know, because that's me. It's so good. This is how God proves how good he is. He's with the ones that aren't better yet. He's with the son that left, not just the one that stayed home. His heart is with the one who hasn't been perfected yet, right? Sometimes we act like God isn't with somebody until they're sanctified, right? That's, how, that's usually our judgment call, right? Our rubric system, we're looking at somebody, we're taking evaluation. Mm. We act like God isn't with somebody until they're more sanctified, but here's the hard truth about that. You can't be sanctified until God's not only with you, but he has influence over your life. So what that means is that people still being sanctified are better off than the ones who think, don't think they have anything left to be changed. If you're really looking at who's better, it's the ones that are still being sanctified because there's always something to be sanctified from, amen? When you think you're done being sanctified, there's a Hebrew word for that, it's skanctified. You heard of that? You remember that? That was from that extra year in Bible school. That's sanctified. That's a totally different issue. When you think you're done being sanctified. The only thing better, and I mean it's better. Somebody just rest in it this morning. Just rest in it. Stop striving to get to, to perfect something in your life and just embrace the fact that he's with you. He's with you. And the problem is, once you're better, you think you're bigger and then you're too big for your britches, my mom would say. And then you don't think you need him anymore. And then you start taking walks without him. And you know where that goes. Nothing's at the end of that road. Let's keep going. So he says, certainly I will be with you. And watch this. This is where it gets good. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Wow. Before we go there, put up that next slide because it's gonna carry us right back into our title. If you're in here this morning, in fact, let's go ahead and stand up to our feet. If you're in here this morning and you're too close to who you are, or I should say it this way, you're too close to who you aren't. 
and you have allowed the enemy or the world or whatever else, you have allowed whatever's going on in your life to diminish the work of the Lord and maximize the work of your flesh or the, the works of your past or the warrant that's out for your arrest or the whatever it is, that's what's defined you. Maybe you've had conversations with people that, that keep bringing this stuff up. This is your defense forever. The answer to who you aren't is who God is. The answer to who you aren't. That's why when God says, certainly I will be with you, he's not saying, no, Moses, you're actually better off than you think you are. He doesn't say that. Why? Because Moses wasn't better off than he thought he was. Moses was exactly who he thought he was. The thing that was about to change is God was with him. Certainly I will be with you. That's how this whole Pharaoh thing and people leaving Egypt, it's not because I'm going to make you better than you thought you were. Even the things that you do do, you're only going to do do them because I'm going to do do something in you and you're going to do do it through me. And here's your sign. And here's your sign. After you bring the people out, you shall worship. Go to that last, that next slide. The greatest revelation of God is not that we discover him. You see, for some of us, that burning bush moment, to us, that's everything. And then the fact when he starts speaking, now God's speaking. The greatest revelation of God is not that we discover him that we digest his word or even that we dialogue with him. It's that we are invited to express our devotion. Isn't it crazy that the sign God gives Moses? Everybody wants a sign. We all want a sign from God. Here's your sign, Moses. You're going to come back and worship me. I'm going to let you worship me. But it won't just be you. It'll be you and six million people that you were instrumental in setting free and delivering. The greatest revelation of God is that we get to respond to it. That we get to worship. Some of y'all come late because there's too much worship at this church. <laughs> but if you want a little window a little glimpse into why worship is so important it's because like Moses the sign that it was God who found me who called me who empowered me, who gave me a purpose and a destiny. That sign for me is worship. You see, that's why worshipers are more confident. That's why worshipers are harder to shake because we keep coming back to the mountain where it all started. We go out 
and then we come back in. We go out, but we can't get enough. There's a hunger. There's a thirst that can't be quenched. There's a love for the Lord that's more important than the staff turning into the serpent on the ground. It's more important than the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the water turning to blood and the plagues and the waters parting and everything else. Everybody gets all hung up on the waters parting, but God doesn't say, the sign that I'm with you is that the waters are gonna part. That's the epic line, right, in all the songs. That's the, that's the one even Disney made a movie about. The waters are gonna part. Who cares? You get to worship me. That's your sign. That's your sign that we're in this together. And church, Satan would prefer to keep uninhibited worship stigmatized by an association with the weak or the weird or the wild. Now you know why this church looks the way it does. You remember David and his ephod. I'll become even more undignified than this. You can't stop me, Michael. You can't stop me. Not today, Satan. Be careful if you say that to your wife. <laughs> but the reason why Satan would prefer to keep uninhibited worship stigmatized is because if critical numbers of believers begin obtaining the confidence and the boldness that comes from the revelation of God through our worship, let me tell you something. The, the tables of time and eternity would begin to shift yes, in the favor of heaven. You get bold when you worship. You start to not care. You start to have this thought instead of, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed, I can't do that. You start to have this thought. And this one's entered my mind a couple of times. If I do that, it's gonna become a little more distracting. So Lord, I'm gonna do it in private because you're still worthy of it. Yeah. You see, this isn't a but God message and it's not a but me message. It's a but us, but us. Can you go to that last slide, Dave? That name that he invites us to call him, that name that was prophesied ahead of time, that name, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, it isn't as much about us feeling comforted and safe because the Lord is near as much as it is about the Father finally getting what he wants, which is our participation in his projects. The Lord sits on his throne after 400 years and says, you know what, now's the time. I'm gonna set these people free. Do you think he needed a Moses? No. Do you think he needed, he didn't have to part the waters. He didn't have to do any of it. All of Egypt could have dropped dead one night and, and, and Israel just took everything and walked out. We could have skipped all of this. The Father wants in us a him and you, a him and you. And to you this morning, instead of the but me, quiet your heart and hear the Father say, with my strength and your surrender, with my truth 
and your trust, with my power and your patience, with my burning bush and your bare feet, with my will and your worship, we're going to set these people free. Father, we thank you for the call. Lord, not, not, not just the call to go out and do something mighty, but the call to come back full circle and get in your presence on this mountain and worship you. Lord, for some in this room, that mountain of worship is as far away as Mount Washington in that picture. And it feels so small, so microscopic, so telescopic. We're so far away that it's unfathomable to think that this sign could ever be. But Lord, I pray that this morning we would begin to change that proximity. That we would begin to distance ourselves from the acknowledgement and the awareness of everything in our lives that's not right yet, that's not better yet. And God, that we would cling to the cross that covers it all in righteousness. That we would grow closer to your glory. And that you would find in us hearts of worship. I do believe worship is the answer for many of the issues that we struggle with. Saints, we've got plenty of time in here, and so here's what I'm gonna ask. We're gonna spend a few minutes in worship. But if you're in this room and you have been bound up in who you aren't, You have, you have struggled and stumbled over and fallen into, ensnared by the deficiencies. Moses is a real guy. He has a speech problem and he comes back at God and says, I don't speak eloquently. What are you gonna do about that? He's just a real guy. And there might be somebody in here and you'd say, man, if it wasn't for my communication issues, if it wasn't for my fear of, you know, whatever, crowded rooms, if it wasn't for, for the people I murdered in my past when I was in Egypt, if it wasn't for whatever. But the Lord calls you anyway. If you're in this place this morning and that's you, I'm gonna say to you, meet me down here. Meet me down here. We're going to worship together. We're going to worship together. This is the place God has to keep calling me back to. When somebody gets up in my grill, when somebody comes at me and it's like, hey, what about this? Remember who you were? Remember when you got your credentials revoked? Remember when you got kicked out of this? Remember when you got, you know, remember when you weren't the guy picked for that? Remember, remember? Remember when all your spiritual fathers said you were nothing more than a glorified piano player? That's my favorite. It's become a term of endearment to me now. You know why? Because the Lord likes that better. It's like David with his harp. You see, the man after God's own heart 
wasn't David the king. It wasn't David the giant slayer. It wasn't David the mighty warrior, the military campaign strategist. It wasn't David the, 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 the one who, who built this or brought in that or, or all, of, all, all the crazy exploits he did for the kingdom. The man that had God's heart was David the worshiper. Yeah, yes sir. And the confidence and the boldness and the certainty of who he was, it didn't come from the throne or the crown or from standing over the fallen body of a giant. It came from his time spent in the presence of God. This is a call to come back around to that place of worship. And I see in this place this morning, the ones climbing that mountain and the, the higher you climb, the less you can carry. And that's a good thing. I think that's why God called for that worship up on top of the mountain. <laughs> You're not gonna bring all your baggage with you up there. A couple days ago, me and my wife and my four kids, we climbed Bald Mountain in Maine. And I had the, um, I was the designated pack mule. I had the backpack with everybody's water bottle in it and first aid kit, and tranquilizer guns and, you know, you know, bug out bag and survival this, hatchets and fishing thing, everything in it. My bag was like a thousand pounds. And we get all the way to the top. And if you've ever been to the top of Bald Mountain, you know there's a tower at the top that's like, I don't know, eight flights of steps or something up. It's like a, it's a visual thing to get good pictures and whatever. And guess what I did before I climbed the tower? I dropped that stinking backpack. And I looked at it, spat at it. I actually took my shirt off, but my wife was like, you have to put your shirt back on. There's too many people up there. And she doesn't want me to make people stumble, you know? And so, and so I, uh, I put my shirt back on and I was trying to get out, go up there like David, you know what I'm saying? Just like just strip down. But I put my shirt back on. We go up to the tippy top. Guys, this is a call to the tippy top. So whatever's on you that God didn't put on you, it doesn't make it past this point. Whatever's on you that God didn't put on you, whatever burden you're carrying, whatever name tag you've been wearing, whatever chain you're dragging behind you, whatever wanted poster you have rolled up in your back pocket because you keep pulling them off telephone poles hoping people won't notice it was you that did that thing. None of that stuff makes it up to the tippy top. It's just you and God, but us, but us. Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would find in each one of us that heart. That you would find in each one of us that longing. Lord, to move beyond the limitations of ourselves, the deficiencies and the issues the things that are still broken and the things that aren't better yet. 
God, I pray that we would move beyond them and hear your heart. God, that your heart in that moment was not to make Moses perfect and it's not to make us perfect either. We thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it was rested upon us that day on the cross, forever covered by his righteousness. So Lord, today, may that be enough. Today, may that be the answer to who we aren't. It's who you are, who you've always been, and who you will forever be. And for that, we worship you. For the call, we worship you. To your strength, we surrender. In your truth, God, we trust this morning. For your power, God, we will be patient. And before your will, God, we worship. We worship. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.